not afraid of the big bad wolf. A Good Omens multivoice podfic, written by Sodium Aside and read by Sky Asimaru and Cha. Chapter 2 A Man's Home is His Castle. Anthony J. Crowley, Esquire, had a distinctive face, but Aziraphale was certain that if he had ever met him before, he would have still recognized him from a hundred yards away with a sack over his head, because Anthony J. Crowley walked like he was inventing new skeletal articulations with every step. Or perhaps the standard gravitational field of the Earth was a perpetual surprise to him. Anthony J. Crowley was also an absolute scoundrel, whom Aziraphale should have left to his likely just desserts. Yet, for Aziraphale's many sins, known and unknown, he had rescued Anthony J. Crowley from being cornered in the alley behind his bookshop, by two exceedingly threatening men who had backed off and literally ran away when he had snorted them. In Aziraphale's defense, he had been a bit out of sorts and couldn't think of anything useful to say. Unhand him, you villains! seemed a tad gauche. Aziraphale had bundled the gangly man inside his bookshop and gotten him a cup of tea then a bit of whiskey at his weakly grand request. They had gotten to introductions, and Aziraphale had only realized who sat before him when Anthony, just crowly please, had turned his head enough that the ink at his temple was visible. Aziraphale knew what the small-tattooed animal meant. Men in dark suits with similar marks had been threatening to burn down his bookshop for a decade, should he refuse to sell to their unnamed bosses. He had managed to escape arson so far, as their particular gang had been busted a few times by the authorities, and his little shop had fallen through the cracks. Still, he recognized one of the vermin when he saw one. Crowley had turned back with a cocky smile, which fell off his face when he saw whatever expression was on Aziraphale's. Aziraphale took a deep breath and let it out. So, uh, disagreement with your associates? Or were they rivals? He asked crisply. Crowley opened his mouth visibly reconsidered, and made an approximate shrug. My big mouth getting me in trouble. The boss likes me, though, so they waited until I was out of the territory. This isn't our main area, so you don't have to worry. Aziraphale smiled thinly and sipped his tea. Well, for the next few minutes, neither do you. No one wearing a mark like yours has come in here in some time. Once you're finished, you're welcome to use the back door if you wish, if you think that will be more subtle. He wasn't pleased to have brought a member of organized crime under his roof, but the man would be gone soon enough. Crowley made an inarticulate noise. 
as if someone had spilled a Scrabble board into an automatic tannoy system. He held the half-full glass in front of himself like a protective talisman, and once the linguistic froth had been skimmed off, he tried again. <laughs> Throwing me out of the sanctuary already? Guardian angel like you, don't you want to keep an eye on me? Real troublemaker, me. The last time one of the vermin came in here, informing me of how easily my books could accidentally burn and how much protection fees would be, they didn't seem inclined to stay longer than necessary. Crowley cringed. Oh, Hasta. He hissed under his breath. He cleared his throat and gave Aziraphale what was probably intended to be a charming smirk. Since Aziraphale had been enduring Gabriel's version as of late, he wasn't as susceptible to classically handsome men wearing practiced smiles. It's just a job, you know, Crowley wheedled. Keeps body and soul together. Do you have a soul? Surely you had that surgically removed, or perhaps you sold it at auction. Ah, oh, Angel, don't come down so hard. Coming down like a judge's gavel, which I imagine you will see at some point. Look, I just hung around the wrong people, asked the wrong questions. Not a lot of choices for a skinny kid without a dad. And I'm not hurting anyone. I just make sure that things go the way they need to. Long-term goals. I'm just another lawyer when you get down to it. You are a rogue and a criminal. Ah. Oh. I have never once broken a law in my life. The laws are made for the benefit of the haves, against the ones who have not. Everything I do is just words, spoken or on paper, and it's all correct according to the letter of the law. I'll bet my taxes are just as perfect as yours. Aziraphale took a breath, fully preparing to throw out his guest into the street. Politeness be damned, but Crowley knocked back his whiskey and stood. My way? My way means that nobody bleeds. The bosses are happy, the money comes in, and nobody gets hurt. Annoyed, upset, yeah. And sure, there are a few cons. But when I do my work, no one's getting threatened with cricket bats in dark alleys, Angel. <laughs> Except you, Aziraphale pointed out, standing as well. I cannot imagine that would have ended well. Why did they want to hurt you? Crowley stared at him. They liked the traditional ways of going about things, he answered eventually. And you do not, Aziraphale realized as he spoke. So much so that instead of trying to change your mind or your methods, they tried to get rid of you. They knew you would not cross what boundaries you had. 
Crowley fumbled as he set down his empty whiskey tumbler, making some kind of guttural noise in response. Aziraphale beamed at him. What a courageous and steadfast man you must be. I Crowley gobbled. Aziraphale was suddenly not nervous at all, and he set down his own teacup. Oh, you really should be proud of yourself. I really do think that you were employed by the scum of the earth, but, frankly, that level of talent would serve you well in so many better places. Do you need help? I'm sure I could make some calls. Angel, I'm an irredeemable mafia member who is probably born to hang. No, dear fellow, the quality of your enemies says otherwise. If you were such a demon as all that, you would do whatever you were told for the sake of your own skin. Better men than you have done worse from cowardice or sheer laziness. Stop seeing the best in people, and especially me, Crowley growled. He stalked close, crowding Aziraphale up against the bookcase and scowling viciously. He poked Aziraphale hard in the chest. That's going to get you killed. Not by you. Just because you have everyone's best interest at heart, apparently, doesn't mean that dangerous people don't exist. I am aware of that. I truly am. But you are surrounded by more of them than I, certainly. And I'm not sure if you have anyone to take care of you. You really do deserve better, Crowley. Crowley practically jumped out of his boots when there was a thunderclap outside. The autumn storm that had been threatening all day had finally arrived and a few moments later, the accelerating patter of raindrops began. Aziraphale looked at the spooked mob lawyer holding him by the lapels and made a guess that the prickly creature would not respond well to being asked to stay. Do you have an umbrella? Crowley's scowl deepened, and Aziraphale rolled his eyes. We live in London. Surely precipitation isn't outside the realm of possibility on a daily basis. He easily removed Crowley's hands from their grip on his housecoat and bustled around. He had been hiding in the bookshop, afraid of his own unnatural influence, but the first human he saved wasn't inclined to listen to him at all, which assuaged his worries hugely. He gathered up the necessaries and bundled up Crowley with a scarf against the wind. The rat had never matched his complexion anyway. And a packet of biscuits in his pocket for his blood sugar. Crowley seemed more bewildered than anything, and Aziraphale rolled his eyes once more, before opening the back door and then his spare umbrella beneath the awning, so Crowley wouldn't get wet. He fluffed up the scarf around Crowley's sharp jaw with a smile for good luck. Mind how you go. He watched Crowley meander down the road, misguided in life perhaps, but at least dry and warm today, 
wished him well, and assume that would be the end of it. One could not save someone without their consent, as heartbreaking as that was. Three days later, the first bouquet of flowers arrived. A week later, a fantastically expensive hamper from Fortnum and Mason was delivered by Korea. Another full moon came and went, with its attendant trip out of London and uncomfortable interaction with his pack. This time, Aziraphale had thought to bring a small pair of scissors, and after an awkward question to Michael about how long hair on a wild werewolf should be, was given permission to give the wolf children warrior hair. They submitted with fine form, and he did his best by them all, with the little female waiting until last. Aziraphale had been worried about her, since her natural hair was uncared for and horrifically matted, but after a sad look at the others and a tuck on one of the filthy lumps attached to her scalp, she had scowled and then leaned against him and bent her head. He tried to save as much as he could, but she was fairly closely shorn by the time he was done. She was the feistiest of all of the wolf children, but the loss of her hair seemed to upset her a great deal, and she let him squeeze her once, tucking her face into his neck and breathing in deeply for comfort. The leaders had lost interest in watching after the second wolf child had been barbered without incident, and Aziraphale pulled out the real contraband, chocolate. He had been worried about theobromine at first, but given that he had no ill effects from eating it, unlike a dog, he was willing to take a chance. Unspoiled wildness be damned. No one deserves to live a life without chocolate. He broke the bar into chunks as quickly as possible, nibbled a bit to prove that he meant no harm, then made little fluttering hand motions for them to hurry up and eat it before someone noticed. The eldest of them, with lovely blonde curls, was first, then the others followed suit. There was a pause. Then the children went insane. After they had calmed down, and Aziraphale had made up a story about celebrating their warrior haircuts when some of the other pack members came to investigate the noise, they were devastated to learn that he had only brought the one piece. He promised to do his best, and they helped him sweep up the hair clippings easily enough. When he got back to his bookshop, the little pile of mail below the door slot included an envelope containing an excellent ticket to the symphony. There was a scribbled drawing of a snake on the back. Overall, Aziraphale felt quite pleased with his existence. If he attempted to poorly feign surprise when a gangly ginger man oh so coincidentally poured himself into the seat beside him at the symphony performance, well, he was just trying to get into the clandestine spirit of things. 
Crowley was jittery and bad-tempered and attempted to give Aziraphale his borrowed scarf back at the end of the evening. Aziraphale looped it securely around that thin throat and showed him how to fold it just right so that it didn't flip up when the wind caught it. The next time that a ticket mysteriously appeared in the mail, Crowley followed him home afterwards, and they shared a bottle of wine while Crowley told the most hilarious stories about some of his misadventures. Aziraphale was still doing his best to find his feet in his new existence, including when he was on four paws instead, but his main worry now wasn't about his new species, but how best to handle being gently courted by a devilishly handsome agent of organized crime. It hurt to do the right thing, but after another few months he gathered himself. It had been wonderful thus far, but he had given this talk before in his life, and it had always been a deal-breaker for any of his potential partners. Aziraphale had been planning on a more formal discussion, but it came up unexpectedly when Crowley had taken him to an art museum. They were appreciating some of the Rubens' masterpieces, and the official pamphlet they had been given was waxing poetic about the sensuality of the paintings. Crowley had been reading the pamphlet aloud in increasingly ridiculous voices, but he had stumbled over that. Aziraphale's heart stuttered, but he took a breath, and only a bit shakily, replied with an attempt at being casual that he wouldn't know, as he was asexual. Crowley had blinked, then grinned wider than he had ever seen, and nodded. Me too. What? Blushing, Crowley had nudged Aziraphale a little and then wandered off in a wide circle, veering back to eventually rejoin him like a man on stilts attempting to circumnavigate the globe. Aziraphale had tucked his hand into Crowley's elbow like a debutante at a regency ball, and they sat very little but walked very close. So it seemed like Aziraphale had found the love of his life. How jolly! If only he had managed to do so before his conversion into a creature of the night. Gabriel had been right about everything so far, for all that Aziraphale hated it. Every few weeks, by the dictates of lunar magic, Aziraphale tore out of his skin and had claws and a jaw that could crack bones. He was probably contagious. What if he accidentally bit or scratched Crowley somehow? Accidents happen all the time. What if Aziraphale was poisonous? For all he knew, he could kiss Crowley and the dear thing would shriek his way through his own transformation at the next full moon. He couldn't rob the poor man of his humanity, and he wouldn't wish Gabriel on anyone, dear God. Maybe he could think of something? Maybe Crowley didn't like to be touched or kissed ever, and Aziraphale could love him from arm's length, 
and it would be a moot point. A xeophile could try to figure out a way to introduce the idea of an interspecies relationship. That was going to be a task and a half. Well, there was time. He'd try to come up with something after the next full moon. It was supposed to be something rather special, he had been informed by Uriel, as it was Harvest Moon, which was significant in some way that Aziraphale did not understand. Oh, well, he would take it as it came. Aziraphale had just found the love of his life. His whole life was hunky-dory, and nothing could distress him. Aziraphale showed up at the compound in the afternoon, before the harvest moon, since he reckoned that if it was a bit of a do, then there would need to be proper setup. He helped out with setting up the ceremonial bonfire and preparing dinner, which included the amazing alchemy of using actual seasonings before the meat was cooked. The pack member stared at him like he was performing miracles. He was a wizard with a sword shaker. The leaders didn't seem particularly upset, but Aziraphale backed off when Michael eyed him suspiciously. He didn't see why they couldn't enjoy their food, but, well, he really was too chipper to be too disappointed, even if it was just salt and pepper and seared medium rare instead of raw and bare. It was quite an improvement, and even Gabriel seemed pleased about it, swallowing several pieces, although he rarely ate in front of any of the pack. Unfortunately, the food seemed to invigorate him. In the firelight, Aziraphale kept a smile on while Gabriel stalked around, unclothed again, dear lord giving some kind of speech about the growth of the pack and their natural superiority over the lowly humans from which they had ascended. Perhaps because he wasn't shouting agreement constantly, eventually Gabriel was pacing back and forth in front of him, and the subject shifted to being the best wolf one could possibly be. <laughs> Lean, mean fighting machines! Gabriel roared to howling agreement from the rest. He aimed a punch to Aziraphale's belly that might have been meant to be encouraging, and he tried to hide his wins, nodding obediently until Gabriel shot him a grin and loped away. Aziraphale exhaled under his breath. He had lost weight more quickly than he was comfortable with, as apparently monthly mythical transformations burned up a fair amount of padding. That and the stress had meant that Aziraphale was feeling like a stranger in his own body for more reasons than one. He wasn't sure that he wanted to lose his shape. It was cozy and kept him warm in the winter, and all of his nice clothes would have to be retailed. Just before moonrise, there was a hurried rush to douse the bonfire. Aziraphale assisted with a bucket, wondering vaguely why, and asked one of the wolves before he could think better of it. 
The fire is scary, they whispered, cringing away from him a little. He patted them on the head, wishing distantly that he had one of his cooms to try to work out their tangled hair. That's quite all right, dear. Fear is your mind telling you that something is dangerous. Your instincts might sometimes steer you wrong, but it's a good warning system as any. He tried to comfort them. They stared at him, but didn't say anything, and soon enough the moon peeked over the horizon and the transformation was upon them all. Being a wolf wasn't unpleasant, actually, even if becoming one was painful and inconvenient. Aziraphale liked that his fur was a nice white collar, and when he wasn't being barked and howled at to run, it was really quite lovely to trot along and smell the wind, or curl up in a ball and tuck his nose under his tailtip to nap in the cool night breeze. He was fluffy, and when he was in wolf shape, none of the leaders tried to hurt him. They would be aggressive when in human form, but as soon as he was a wolf, none of them even snapped. It was very odd, since they were more than rough with the others. This time Aziraphale was apparently being shadowed. The nameless wolves kept around him in a cluster, running beside him when the pack did. It might have been threatening, except for the sweet little whines and chin rubs. The worst it ever managed to be was when one of them tucked on his ear until he rumbled at them, and they instantly rolled over, furry belly up and paws folded, parting a loose-tongued smile at him until he huffed and licked their muzzle in forgiveness. They also liked to curl up with him when he napped in the darkest hours before dawn. Aziraphale was big enough that one of them actually slept on top of him. He didn't mind. It was nice having all of the puppies close and safe. It felt correct. As it turned out, when morning came, none of the leaders agreed that it was correct. Since the moonrise had been late, they were all still wolves when the sun finally rose, which was very jarring. The moon was still faintly visible above the western horizon, yet all around him the pack was spasming into human shape. Aziraphale could fear the pull, but as long as he saw the moon, it felt perhaps optional was the wrong word, but it wasn't irresistible. Michael's face, as she stared at him with her stern human features, was enough warning, however. If none of the rest seemed to see it as an option, it didn't seem wise to stand out as the only one wearing fur. The shift wasn't especially painful when he let it happen, although the vertigo from becoming so much smaller was always disorienting. The nameless wolves, already pulling on the rough tunics, seemed to sense what was coming, and literally ran into the compound, babbling about how they would prepare breakfast before anyone stopped them. There was no explanation from the pack leaders, 
no accusations, but they all came at him at once. Aziraphale tried to ask why, and then he tried to defend himself, but it didn't do much good. None of the other pack members helped. They kept their faces away and seemed grateful that they weren't the ones targeted. Eventually it was over, or at least they were done with him, and they walked away. Later, Zerophil couldn't recall how long it took him to get up, dressed and home, but he would always remember Crowley's expression of shock and horror when he saw him stumbling up to the bookshop door. Ah, uh, yes, he had been supposed to meet Crowley for lunch. He must have been late. How rude of him. Aziraphale didn't protest when Crowley pushed him into his terrible car and rushed him to hospital. It was all a bit fuzzy, but the doctors were gratifyingly attentive, and Crowley was there and holding his hand. Aziraphale wished he didn't hurt so much so that he could appreciate it better. What a lucky bugger he was that Crowley would hold his hand. He napped off and on, even though the sense of the hospital stung his nose. He could also smell Crowley, so that was all right then. When he woke up the next morning, feeling far more lucid, there was a nurse and a constable in the room. He told a somewhat amended story about unexpectedly jumped by a group of miscreants, and gave as accurate a description of the pack leaders as he possibly could. It wouldn't accomplish anything, but it made him feel better. Everything else he put down as fuzzy-headed confusion. The constable tipped his head as he left, which was rather decent of him, and then the nurse let Crowley in, or more accurately, stopped blocking the door enough for Crowley to force his dog-legged way inside. Aziraphale was more than amazed that Crowley had stayed, and dumbfounded that Crowley claimed they were boyfriends when he was discharged. The nurse literally pinched Crowley's ear and mildly threatened him about taking good care of his partner when discussing Aziraphale's recovery plan. It didn't seem like a good time to protest, and really, what a lovely thing to dream about being true. He dreamed about it more when he fell asleep on Crowley's shoulder on the way home. He napped a lot the next few days, and Crowley was nearly always there. Aziraphi let Crowley scowl and mutter and bring him soup, then deliver all of the get-well cards and gifts that poured in when his injuries became known. His visible bruising faded fairly quickly, but it had been a rather traumatic moment when Crowley had delicately guided him from his black Bentley to the bookshop door, dazed, bandaged, and with a black eye. Or so he had been informed when some of his neighborhood friends practically broke down the door to make sure he was all right. Crowley seemed amazed and amused in equal portions that he was also caught irretrievably in Aziraphale's orbit. 
It was possible that Crowley hadn't been trusted by so many people so quickly in his life. Aziraphale liked it. Crowley deserved to be loved by everyone. He didn't protest much when Crowley insisted on installing a state-of-the-art security system, assuming that the fact that the old shop was a listed building would be enough to make the idea unlikely. However, Crowley apparently knew people everywhere, and after a few pointed calls, apparently exceptions could be made quite easily. Aziraphale pouted. He had to practically jump through hoops to get an awning freshly repainted the exact same color, and he was Crowley shamelessly using his legal knowledge and connections to make sure that Aziraphale was safe. Oh, well, if he thought it about that way, that was damned convenient, actually. It was also excruciatingly romantic. Aziraphale healed far more quickly than the doctors had anticipated, which only gave him more energy to spare despondently out of the upstairs window and wonder when his wolf-like instincts would ping and he would become animalistically violent. Every other werewolf he had met, aside from the children, was more than willing to spill blood at a moment's notice. He had thought that it might be the stressful cult-like lifestyle making them act out, but if he was wrong, then perhaps Aziraphale himself was a ticking time bomb. It was on one of those days, looking out the window and despairing about what to do when the moon was full again, that Aziraphale realized that he recognized someone across the street, just staring at the bookshop. It was the werewolf who liked to shadow Gabriel. They all knew where he lived. They had demanded all of his information the morning after his very first transformation back to human, shivering and shocked. They had never bothered to come visit before, so why now? Why only one of them just watching? Unless he wasn't the only one and he wasn't just watching. Aziraphale sprinted downstairs, but it was already entirely empty. The beautiful security system that Crowley had installed replayed the recorded kidnapping in magnificent 4K color, as Gabriel and Michael dragged the unconscious body of Aziraphale's dearest friend out of the door. To be continued in chapter 3.